Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Good morning. We do welcome you here to Pleasant Hill. So thankful that you've taken the time this morning to come and be here. I'm glad to see you. I hope you're as glad to see me as I am glad to see you. I truly delight in seeing you come in. I love seeing you anytime, but I love to see you come in the house of the Lord. And I want to bring a message this morning. We're going to read our passage again in just a moment. You can be seated for that. But uh, before we do, this message I'm bringing is part two of Don't Let Your Life Be Tragic. And of course, it's focusing on the pursuit of wealth. This young man who was unwilling to give up all that he had, or to give, is, he wanted to be perfect. That's how he thought he was going to get into heaven. And he says, I've followed all the commands. What more do I need to do? And Jesus, knowing that you can't be perfect and that works is not how you get into heaven, he said, okay, fine. If that's the way you want to get in, and if you could be perfect, you could get in that way, but we can't. But he said, since I know you're not, sell all that you've got and give it away and follow me. And the man went away sad and tragic, and his life was a tragedy. But I was thinking uh, this morning as we were singing the song, and it says, in the when I surveyed the wondrous cross, I, I noticed these words that were in the second verse. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. But then this part, all the vain things that charm me most. Those are the things that that young man was unwilling to give up. And the things that we're often unwilling to give up. All the vain things, the empty things, the things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of life that we must be willing to give up. That doesn't mean that God says you have to give up everything you've got. Again, we shared that last week. It was not a command to everybody, yes, give everything away. It was the point that this man was not willing that Jesus knew, and so therefore he said, you've got to be willing. But still... Is our pursuit these vain things, all the vain things that charm us, the money, the possessions, the prestige, the power, the things that go with that. And that's just an old hymn. And as I said, as we, as we change into some new songs that we're learning that Landon's teaching us and our praise team is leading us in, we're not abandoning by any means old hymns. And I love that message from when I survey the wondrous cross, and just wanted to share that thought with you this morning. Open your Bible again, if you would, to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 10. And again, once you find your place there, I'm not going to read the whole passage this morning again. I'm going to read just part of it. But if you would, hold that copy of the Word of God up over your head. And again, say along with me now, this is the Word of God. I will read it, I will believe it, and I will obey it by the grace of God. That's got to be our mantra as we go into this. This is God talking to us. Uh, I often 
two things, not part of my message, but I want to get to this this morning. I want to share this with you is two things that strike me. And I understand what people mean. And in fact, I've been guilty of this at times. You know, Lord, speak to us. Or the second thing that I think that we get wrong, Lord, do a miracle. God, I need a touch from you. I need a miracle from you. Can I just say this? God is speaking to us, and anytime we pick up His Word and read it, that is God speaking. I've shared that with you before. But also, every day you're experiencing a miracle. I understand the concept of I need an extra miracle, or I need an extra touch. I get that idea. But don't ever get the idea that as you live this life, that God is not doing miracles in every way and every day of your life. If you are still alive, God is doing miracles in your life. You're breathing, your heart's pumping, the things that He brings into your life, the things that He protects you from in life, all these things are miracles. And then when you die, it is a miracle that God, if you have your faith in Him, transports you into His presence. And so therefore, don't ever get the idea of, well, God, I just need you to do a miracle. God is doing miracles. I hope that we understand that and see that. But I want you to see the rest of this passage again and I'm going to begin uh, in verse 24. Now, actually, I'm just going to read, begin verse 23. I may read the whole thing again. But And Jesus looked around about and saith to his disciples, How hardly, or how, with much difficulty, shall they, have, they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. They were to use an old person word, my wife says I use old people words, but to use an old-fashioned word, they were flabbergasted. They were knocked off their feet. They were shocked. How? By what he was saying. They were astonished. And Jesus answered again. Jesus didn't back up. He didn't say, well, let me correct myself. No, he held his ground and he said, unto them children how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished, out of measure. So if you thought they were shocked the first time, now he says it's easier for a rich man, to, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God or into heaven. And Jesus, looking upon them, saith with men, it is impossible. Because they said, who can be saved? Verse 26, they said to themselves, who can be saved? In other words, they were saying it amongst themselves, not to Jesus. And he, hearing this or understanding in their hearts what they were thinking, looking upon them, when with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began, this is almost a whole other conversation, but Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we've left all. Aren't we special? For those of us that think, man, I'm really, I am really out there. I am in ministry or I am following God and God, we're just following you. What is there then for us? What's going to be for us? Kind of the same concept is the rich man had. God, we've given it all up. Aren't we wonderful? That rich young man that left you and his life was tragic, his life was a tragedy, but not ours, Lord. We're following you and we've given it all up. What's going to be left for us? Hadn't really given it all up, had he? 
But here Jesus then answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels. Now don't stop there because that's not where he stops. He's not saying that nobody has given up everything. He's saying for those that have, verse 30, he shall receive a hundredfold, notice the words, now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And again, I bring you this message. Don't let your life be tragic. Part two. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand this passage, and God, that you would help us to put others first, put you above all first. And Father, that we would not be pursuing the things of this world and money and fame and fortune, but God, that we would be pursuing you, that we would be taking up our cross and following you. And in doing so, our life, both in this life and in the next, would not be tragic. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to kind of catch you up, if you missed last week or if you've forgotten last week, we talked about the rich young man. He came, he asked Jesus, how do I get eternal life? How do I earn that? And Jesus said, okay, uh, if you're going to earn eternal life, then follow the commandments. What are they? And he goes through the commandments. And, and the young man says, I've done all these things since I was a child. And Jesus says, okay, if you're perfect, go sell all that you've got. And follow, take up your cross and follow me. A mantra, a, a motto or a mantra, a theme that he had been stating now for a while in the last few chapters in Mark, we've noticed that. And we mentioned that last week the man went away sad. Why? Because his level of faith kept him from Jesus. He believed that Jesus was good. He believed that Jesus knew the way to heaven, but he did not understand that Jesus was the way to heaven. And there are people in this world that they believe the Bible is the word of God. They believe that there's a God in heaven. They believe that Jesus is God. They believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. They believe all that, but they never do put their faith completely in him and repent of sin. And therefore, their level of faith keeps them from being saved. Or sometimes, even though when we get saved, our level of faith keeps us from following him and taking up our cross. Also, don't let your goodness keep you from Jesus because the young man thought he was good enough. And there are people in this world that say, well, I've gone to church and I've grown up in church and I've followed Jesus and I've gone to Sunday school or I teach Sunday school. My parents did this and I give money or what, I help the little old lady across the road. Whatever it is, I've done enough good things. And therefore, they stop short and they fall short. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not what you've done outweighing what you've done wrong. Don't let your goodness keep you from Jesus. And then lastly, don't let your, last week, don't let your possessions keep you from Jesus because the man in his covetousness for things was unwilling to give up those things to follow Jesus. Don't let our possessions, the desires of this life, and don't let our shortcomings, Keep us from Jesus. Our failures, 
when we realize, we don't understand, don't stop and say, well, I can't follow him. I can't trust in him. Don't, I've messed up. Don't let those things stop you from following Jesus either. In the end, this man's life was a tragedy. We look at it, and we were just talking to Alex before the service started, and he said, we certainly look back, and that man's life was tragic. Don't let your life be like that young man's life, that rich young man, that wealthy young ruler. Don't let your life be a tragedy like his was. And all who responded to the gospel and the call of God to be co-ministers with Christ, their life's not tragic. If you've been saved, number one, and number two, if you say, you know what, I'm following Jesus, then your life is not tragic. And if you don't, then your life will come to a tragic end in judgment and damnation if you've never been saved, but also tragic in life eternal, where even if you are saved, you get to heaven, but you don't receive the good and well done faithful servant. We still get heaven. Again, a person can be saved, die the next day or die that day. They still, by faith and repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done alone, get to go to heaven. But they may not receive a well done, good and faithful servant. Or the person who's been saved for 50 years but didn't follow Jesus doesn't receive what Paul said he was looking for. Well done good and faithful servant. And therefore, although you receive all the rewards of heaven and the presence of God and all of that's wonderful, there's still there's a sense of tragedy in what could have been. Now, if we're understanding these following verses, though, that we're reading this morning, we can be sure that we do not live a tragic life. And I want to break it down to you this way. Number one, the world, secular world, and the Christian world, both now and then, when this was written, believed or believes that prosperity and riches and wealth and things are a sign of God's approval. It's a gift of God. Hey, if you get wealthy, they thought back then, if you are wealthy, if you have things, that was God's approval of your life. That's why the disciples were so shocked when he said a rich man can hardly enter into heaven. They're thinking, what are you talking about? A person who's got this stuff, surely that's God's approval. And whatever, and, and listen, God certainly delights in giving good things and blessings and even money. It's not always those things, but certainly he does. And it's not to say that just because you have those things doesn't mean that you're a, your life's a tragedy or poor or you're a poor Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are many people that I know to be true, godly, wonderful Christians that do have financial resources, do have houses and lands. So it's not that. The key word is the trusting in those things. It's similar to the fact of those who love money. It's not money the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's not having things. It's the trusting in those things that was the problem. The pursuit of those things is the problem. But today's world believes if you've got stuff and you're a 
then hey, that's God's blessing on you. I've come and, and reading this passage, my life completely changed. I, and what I mean by that is this: a view of things completely changed. You know, Lucas and others will talk about. I'm going to do this, and Daddy, I'm when I get this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a YouTuber, or I'm going to be famous for this, and I'm going to have this money. And when I do, I'm going to get you and Mommy a beach house and a lake house. And I'm like, well, that's just fantastic, son. You go do that. That sounds great. Somebody needs to take care of me and your mother in our old age. But am I then encouraging him to pursue these things? Nothing wrong with having things, but am I encouraging him to pursue those things? Am I pursuing those things? The world believes that riches and wealth, that's a wonderful thing to have. But there's so much evil in it. Not because those things are evil of themselves, but because the desires for those things and the corruption of those things and how having just a little bit more things can become such an enticement and distraction if we're not careful. That's what the world believes now, and it's what the world believed then. You know, if you don't have things, you often want things, and that's a sin. You want what you don't already have, and that becomes covetousness. And back in that day, that was the same problem. They looked at people that had these things and said, Ooh, I want to be like that. I want to have that. And it was a problem. Not the having, but pursuing. Again, Jesus was buried for the three days that he was buried in a borrowed tomb of a wealthy man. So God certainly uses things to care for us just as he did Jesus in life and in death. But the thing, number two, is the desire for prosperity. This is the key I want you to see. It's the desire for, for prosperity that will keep you from Jesus both from trusting in Him for salvation and for following Him in discipleship. The pursuit of prosperity. This is why I have such a problem. And I'm not calling out names, but this movement of prosperity preaching, the health, the wealth, this kind of thing, and you can do it. And, and I, I was talking with Landon this morning about how there's a fine line between encouraging people and I can do all things in Christ. And sometimes we take that and we misconstrue it or we misapply it to so many areas. But there's a fine line between encouraging people and saying, hey, if God's will for you to do something, then you can do it. There's a fine will between that and pushing the desire for getting things. And hey, just name it and you claim it. Or hey, if you get those things and God, that's God's blessing upon you. It may not be God's blessing upon you. If your desire is to pursue those things and you get those things, that may be a blessing of the devil. You don't hear that much preaching, church. Not everything that we can earn and grab and get and receive is from God. Everything good that we have is from God. But not everything that we can have that we think of as good is good. The desire for prosperity will keep you from Jesus. And again, I'm not going to back off of that because Jesus did not back off of it. Even when the people there looked at him like people here do to me, shocked 
Because Jesus went on and doubled down, as they say, and said the pursuit of these riches, or the trusting in these riches. But Jesus, in verse 24, answered again, and saith unto him, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The trusting in the riches is key. And I already mentioned this, but we can parallel that with a passage on the love of money. Money becoming your master because you're either going to pursue the world and money and things, or you're going to pursue God. There is no in-between. You cannot have two masters. It's the same concept that we're seeing here. It's very hard. But then he says, not only is it very hard, it's impossible. It's impossible. I grew up being taught about this very passage, the eye of the needle. Wave your hand at me if you remember being taught about the eye of the needle. Anybody else? I'm, I'm sure every, that was a thing that blew my mind when I was a kid. The eye of a needle. Right? And, and, and as I was taught as in Sunday school as a kid, I was taught, maybe you were the same way, that there was a narrow gate, a narrow pathway that people would enter into the city. And it was so narrow that people, the camel could not, with, with being loaded, loaded up with things that you're traveling with, you had to unpack all these things, and then the camel would have to get down on its knees and crawl through this narrow passageway to fit. And that's what I was taught as a kid. And then as I became, you know, later in, in, in ministry and, and studying for ministry and even studying my Bible now, I read and I'm like, okay, there was a, there, that was a real thing as far as the eye of a needle, but was that what Jesus was talking about? It would be really hard because you have to un burden your camel. First of all, only wealthy people really had camels. And then you would have things on the camel, and it, the idea was that it was very hard. But if you look down again and you see, verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished and said, well, then how can you be saved? Who can be saved? So the idea was, it wasn't just that it was difficult. They're like, wait a minute, then how does anybody get saved? How could, because again, they thought that wealth equaled blessing, just like we do. But look in verse 27, and Jesus looking upon them saying, with man, it's impossible. Well now, here's the problem. If it's talking about a narrow passageway, then it was possible to unburden your camel and squeeze the camel through. That was possible. That wouldn't be impossible. But he says with man, it is impossible. So is, and then I was taught that it wasn't really talking about a narrow passageway. It was actually literally the eye of a sewing needle. And a camel, loaded down with things or not, cannot fit through the eye of a needle. It is impossible, and therefore that must be what it is. And I learned that or was taught that. So which one is it, preacher? Well, I don't know that it matters. The point is that apart from God, 
having the symbolic nature of you letting go of your possessions, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to be willing to let go. My pursuit is not of those things, or my life is going to end up tragic because either I'm not going to put my faith in Christ, I'm putting my faith in things, what I do and what I have and what I give, and I'm a humanitarian and look at all the good things I've done, or my faith is in Christ. And if your faith is in your things and what you do, you will not enter into heaven. But God can help you be willing to set apart those things. But I still go back and he's saying it's impossible. So could it be that it is the camel through the eye of a needle? I would say it's apart from God is just as impossible either way. But here's the thing that I need you to understand, because most of you may be like me, and you're not wealthy. So you say, whoo, I escaped that one. The disciples said, who can be saved? Here's the point that I want you to see. Whether you think that you've got wealth and possessions or whether you don't, it's not the having, it's the pursuing. And here's the thing. Apart from God, it is impossible for anybody to be saved. I think that's the point that we're missing, or that even the disciples were missing when they looked at this. They're saying, well, how can a rich person get into heaven then? And God is saying, or Jesus is saying, how can anybody get into heaven apart from God? Salvation apart from God is impossible. But with God, anybody can be saved. And as I went back to last week, we talked about don't let your goodness keep you out of heaven and don't let your failures keep you from Jesus and following God and getting into heaven and your life being tragic. I said nobody is so good that they don't need the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and they, don't, they have to have that to be saved. But also nobody is so bad that they can't be saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, God can certainly help people let go of their pursuit of wealth. He can help them let go of, of their love of money. He can help them learn to give it to God. He can help them learn to love God and others first. But everybody else still has to have God in order to be saved. And it's impossible apart from what God did in His love for you and me in sending Jesus Christ on the cross. And I think instead of debating, was it a physical location or was it a literal eye of a needle, we just need to realize that apart from God, we, cannot, we will never desire Him. We will never desire to follow Him. We will never desire to trust in Him unless He opens our eyes and reveals it to us and then gives us the grace and the faith to be saved. Well, the last thing I want you to see this morning well, let me back up for one second. We, in God's strength, can put aside those things and ourselves, our goodness and our shortcomings, and by faith believe in Jesus Christ and follow Him. That leads me to this next section, and I want to hit on this, and then I'm going to be done this morning just trying to finish up these thoughts, but I want you to see this, because Peter begins really a new discussion, and I thought about just stopping there and leaving it off till next week, but I said, no, let me hit this right now. I'll have time for this, and I do. What about those of us 
that have left it all. Now listen, that's what Peter said. And he's talking about him and the disciples. He's saying, look, Lord, I've left it all. First of all, when we get the attitude of God, what about me? I've left everything for you. What am I going to get? I think we've got the wrong attitude. I think when we right there are messing up, when our thoughts turn from instead of just everything about you, Lord, it turns back to us. And as Christians, we're not perfect, and we fall. And this was an area that Peter certainly struggled, and he fell along with the other apostles. He was speaking for them all, I'm sure. And we need to be careful when we say that. But I want you to understand that Jesus in His compassion understood Peter's heart. He understood that the disciples had given up so much. He understood the disciples had left home and family and jobs. That, I mean, again, Peter and James and, and John and Andrew, uh, Peter, Peter and James and John and Andrew had given up their careers. Uh, Matthew had given up his career. These others had given up their careers to follow Jesus. Remember, he Peter and James and John and Andrew had left their, their parents and the family fishing business to follow Jesus. Matthew gave up a lucrative job as a tax collector, even though he was a traitor to Israel, to follow Jesus. The other disciples had also given up things. And so Jesus is saying, listen, okay, Peter, I, I think you're missing the point, but I'm going to go with that for a second. And to us who say, hey, I'm here in church, and hey, I'm, I go out and I try to witness and share the gospel, and God, I've given up so much for you. I think he says, okay, I got that. I, I think you're missing the point, but I got that. So here's what I have to say to that. For anybody that gives up all they've got, they left their house, their brethren, their sisters, their father, their mother, their family, their wife, their children, or their possessions, their lands, for my sake and the gospel's. All right, so that's who I'm going to talk to next. He said there are some rewards later. Now, I'm going backwards here because he says something else first, but let me just say what's worth it all is the rewards that are to come. We talk about this a lot. And in this life, that's not to be our focus. That's, that's the point of this message, is not to pursue the things of this life in this life, but to pursue Christ in this life is the key. And for those of you that had, understand that no matter what else happens in this life, there are far greater rewards than you can ever have in this life when you get to heaven eternal life, in perfection, in a perfect body, in a perfect place, the perfect God, where there is no darkness or sorrow or sadness or sin or hurt or pain or loss, nothing that is bad or evil or negative will be there. What a day that will be. And you heard me talk about it last week, and I'll say it again, about the joy that we enter into heaven, whether it be through death or whether it be through the rapture, and we get to see our Lord and Savior, and we just fall down at His feet, or whether we jump into His arms, whatever the case may be, what a day that will be. And when we get there, it's going to be worth it all. Amen? 
I hope that you understand that. I hope that you get that, that there is nothing, not a car, not a house, not a person, not a job, not a dollar amount in your bank account, not a position in this life that is a drop of a thimble compared to what we're, is in store for us in heaven. Oh, the passage is about how eye hath not seen, nor ear heard. Or can you imagine what it's going to be like? We can read all we want about the, the streets of gold and the walls of jasper and the gates of pearl. We can read all we want about how heaven is going to be so beautiful and that Jesus, the Lamb of God, will be there and He'll be the light thereof and no more darkness. We can read all about that and God wiping away our tears. But we can never, ever Imagine just how wonderful it's going to be. And when I think about that, I think, you know, about those that are loved ones of mine or those that are members of this church. And, and it's even thinking about Vicki Halliday this weekend and, and entering into the reward. And how there's sorrow with death for us losing somebody that we love in this life. And those that were struggling with health or those that were elderly and had cancer or dementia or Alzheimer's, they say, oh, well, it's not quite as hard. It's still hard for us, but it's not for them. The rewards that are there later, because he says in verse 30, in the world to come, eternal life. But did you notice what he starts off with? Because that's often what we focus on, and it should be what we focus on, is the reward to come, getting across that finish line and being greeted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Him giving us crowns for things we've done in this life and us taking those crowns and throwing them back at His feet in celebration and worship of the One who is worth it all. But He shall receive a hundredfold now. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm confused. Now, don't get confused. He's not saying desire the hundredfold now, but the hundredfold is, is as good as it gets. In other words, a hundredfold, remember he talks about uh, the, the servants that he gave the, the gold to, and some returned this much and this much and this much, and one of them was a hundredfold. Uh, was their investment, return on their investment. The hundredfold was as good as it can get. And what he's saying is, in this life, you're going to have it as good as it can get. And it says, well, let me stop for a second. We say, well, yes. Uh, God's going to reward me in this life with things, and it may not be money, and it may not. And it may not be lands, and it may not, and it may not be, listen, we may not get a return on financial investment from what we give up or give in this life. God may not bless us the same way we bless somebody else or bless the Lord. It may not. The blessings of comfort and peace and joy that the Lord gives that passes all understanding in this life is certainly a hundredfold greater than what we're giving up. We need to understand that as well. But he goes on to say, this is where prosperity preachers say, oh, this is what we're talking about. A hundredfold in this time in houses and brethren and sisters 
and mothers and children and lands. Stop there. So see, therefore, if I give it all up for God, then I'm going to get it back a hundredfold in lands and houses and money and, and people. No, understand that the family of God and the riches of God is far greater than anything that you're going to give up. In other words, when I am willing to give up everything, I get so much more because now I'm entering the family of God, which is far more brothers and sisters in Christ, far more things that God can give because He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, if that's what He chooses to do. And I have friends and family and love in a whole different way that is far greater than what I was willing to give up in this life. That's the point. It's not saying that dollar for dollar you're going to get $100. You give a dollar, you're going to get $100. Or if you give $10, you're going to get $1,000. Or whatever it is, the, the, the planting, you know, the, the, the seed gift I hear all the time. You give this seed gift, and brother, you're going to receive it back a hundredfold. No. What he's saying is all that I have to offer in this life, and it may be financial, it may be possessions, but the love of the family of God, there ought to be nothing like the love of the family of God. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I've experienced that here at Pleasant Hill. There are, listen, all of you in many ways, and some of you in special ways, have given and provided in ways that I never would have had. My family never would have had. I'm going to point out one person, and I can't embarrass them because they're not here, but, I'm, but they're also in my mind, and I'm going to be done in just a minute. But pray for Elaine Hendricks. She's struggling. And I want to take my kid. I told Tracy, we talked about it, we want to take our kids to see Elaine. Why? Because she invested so much in them. And so many of you have, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody here or call anybody else up by name, but Elaine Hendricks, who had no children, had so many children, has so many children. She's still in this life. Think of Vicki Holiday and and, and, and the relationship, I, she was never here. I mean, maybe once or twice that she was able to come to church in the first year that I was here before she moved to North Carolina. But Vicki Holiday in this life shared so much love for me and my family. I'd go and talk to her, and she had her own problems. Or when I'd call her, she had her own problems, but she always wanted to know about my kids, my wife, the church, y'all. And my point is this, is that the love and the things that we share in the family of God is so much greater. And in this life, God uses people and He uses things that are far greater than you'd ever get on your own when you're willing to follow Him and give it all up. Because the key is not, I'm doing it to get those things. Uh, he's giving them to us because we gave up those things and we're not pursuing those things. And therefore, we are on our way to heaven, but also we're following Him. Is that where you're at, or is your life a tragedy? Here's the last key. Many that are first, be last. No, look, I'm sorry, let me back up one more time. Don't misunderstand this. Verse 30, you're going to have a hundredfold house, now, in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Before you get too excited, the persecution is also going to be far greater as you follow me than it will ever be just living in the world. 
your persecution in this life, if you are willing to follow Jesus with all your heart, if you are willing to follow God and let Him work through you in this world and have the testimony that you ought to have and the witness that you ought to have and the mindset that you ought to have is going to be far worse than if you just go along with the world. Oh, in the world, lost people have persecutions. Lost people have trials and tribulations as well. Lost people have difficult times as well. But it's going to be far worse. We often say, man, if you just follow Jesus, it's going to be great. But you're still going to have persecution. You're still going to have troubles and trials. You're going to have opposition in this life. And so we need to balance that out and realize that. And therefore, we need to understand that it's not just sunshine and roses and rainbows and unicorns. But I'm telling you, it's still far greater in this life and the next. So what's the key to claiming the rewards? Be willing to be last. Many that are first shall be last. He didn't say all that are first will be last. Many will be. And the last first. Many that are last will be first. Here's the point. Again, it's not, well, if, hey, if I just give it up now, I'll get to be first in heaven. No, you're still pursuing the wrong thing. You're still pursuing me. But he's saying the truth is when you're willing to be last, you're willing to be at the bottom, you're willing to be ridiculed and mocked and scorned you're willing to say not going to have these things i'm not going to have this position i'm not going to have this stuff not going to have this popularity or this prestige it's not about me it's about christ then many will be first in heaven the key is not pursuing the things of the world the key is pursuing. And if you want your life to be tragic, oh listen, as a Christian, your life can still be tragic if you don't be willing to give it up and you're pursuing the things of this world. Again, it's not the having, it's the pursuing. The career that you choose. Young people, and I'm talking, I guess, to my kids this morning. The career that you choose. Oh, there's nothing wrong if God calls you to be a doctor or a millionaire. That's fine. Or, or, a, or a YouTuber or an engineer or president of the United States. That's fine. Pursue what God has for you. Not what your flesh desires to do. Oh, my friends, if you do that, your life will never be tragic. Eternity is waiting one day. But God's goodness and love and the love of His people are here for us now. Oh, will you turn and tur believe by Jesus Christ if you have not yet done that? Will you turn to Him in repentance and faith and say, Oh, yes, God, please forgive my sins. Thank you for the price you paid. And will you allow, or will you not allow the pursuit of this world to keep you from knowing Jesus as your personal Savior? But for those that are saved, will you not allow the pursuit of things in this life to allow you
to follow the leading that God has in your life. Whatever it may be in God's will for you, will you follow Him and say, God, without even knowing what it is. And by the way, let me just say this. That doesn't mean just the young people that are growing up. you got your life before you. I'm talking about you that are sitting here now. From this point forward, God, what you have for me, whatever it is, you may not yet know what it is. I'd ask this question. What does God want for you and from you now, today? And then ask the same question tomorrow and every day after. Your life is not done just because you've reached a certain age. His purpose for you is not over just because you've reached a certain place in life. Pursue God. Don't pursue the world. And your life will not be tragic. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today. God, I pray that you would help us to be willing to give it all up. God, that we would understand that our trust is not to be in riches or fame or fortune or things. But God, that we would also understand that we are not so good and we're not so bad that we can't be saved by You. Not so good that we don't need to be saved by You. Not so bad that we can't be saved by You. But God, that we would be sure that we've been saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And God, once we have, that we would follow You hard all the rest of our days. Don't let our life be tragic. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stay We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you. This way.